0: All right, before I get started, I just have to say something to you, Jarrett. The swamps aren't all that bad, okay? Um, any fishermen in the house? You know, because let me just tell you, you have not fished until you fish in salt water and brackish water, okay? You catch a, a largemouth bass with one cast and a redfish, a saltwater fish with the next one, right in the same water. Come on. It ain't bad. So I uh, hope to get down there soon. Do you love your worship team, everybody? Like... I've been at New Life a long time, and I just don't know if there's a better worship team than what's right here in Cabot, Arkansas. Woo! It's, it's one thing to just be good musically, but just to have the Spirit of God in the place, and that doesn't happen if you have proud people up here. You have people that are not arrogant. And uh, they just let the Lord flow through them. I just love it. It's good to be here. Um, you know, like he, uh, Jarrett said, I was I was involved in the campus way back when, uh, I don't know if many of you, the last service, there were a lot of people here at that old building behind McDonald's. Anybody here? Oh, man, y'all. That was rough, wasn't it? Even after uh, we did the remodel over there, it got a little bit better, except there was no place to park, okay? If you remember that. And uh, so... We got, I, I remember being there for actually a few months while we were trying to figure out uh, who was going to be the next pastor there, and um, I remember seeing James Bennett uh, do a funeral. So tell him I said, hey. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I saw James Bennett do a funeral, a military funeral, and he gave this message it was so Fantastic. So I told Pastor Rick, I said, you know, maybe we give James, he was a, a, a children's kid life pastor for a while. He came over, and I mean, literally after the service, I probably had two, three dozen people say, can he be our pastor? And uh, you know, when we teach school of ministry or whatever, there's something that we call son in the house. You ever heard that language? It means basically someone who has the heart of The church in their heart it's just the sun in the house would do anything would take a bullet for you or the. and next to when we talk about that it's like James Bennett and Cody's pictures right there because I'm telling you there's there's a lot of leaders in new life and there are a lot of intelligent dedicated people but there's probably nobody I would rather follow into a battle than James and Cody Bennett because they can endure anything and they are just solid people. Would you give them a hand? Come on, y'all. That's cool. Um, I moved up here. I was a business guy. I had a I had a business that made baby products. Believe it or not, you know. So we made terry cloth items like bibs and hooded towels and all that. And and uh, if you go into Walmart now and see, like, go down the baby aisle and see Parents' Choice, the bibs. Those are all from my old company. You know, that's like, I sold it like 20-something years ago, but they're still doing that, and they uh, they sell Target like that too. It's pretty cool. And uh, anyway, just thought I'd pat myself on the back in front of you, okay? <laughs> Forgiven? Oh, yeah. All right. So, about two months ago, I did a wedding in um, Austin, Texas. My son and my daughter live in New York City, and uh, so my son's best friend in New York met a girl in New York, but they were both from Texas, and so they asked me to, to do the wedding. I agreed. Um, it, it was just a beautiful wedding. You know how that goes. It's just gorgeous, and uh, so I, we, I met with them, did a little premarital, like just for one time I met with them, and we talked about their marriage, and I said, let me just tell you, because I knew the man better than the woman. I said, let me just tell you what I see in your, in your life, and I told them the things, and I got this uh, email back from the the fiance, and uh, she was she was like, okay, so what you said is so good, and she's like, we want to make it a a marriage mission statement. So we did the wedding, and I I talked about the three things that made up for them a a marriage mission statement, and it was pretty cool. And uh, her sister was the matron of honor, and her sister. Uh, is maybe a couple of years older. She's a renowned opera singer. Like, I mean, renowned to the point where she travels 250 to 300 days a year around the world singing opera in places like Austria, Germany, and Italy, and all those kind of places. I'm talking pretty well known. She's in New York for a while now. But uh, she is a pronounced, really, atheist. And she told her sister by text message, your wedding touched me so much that I'm reconsidering what my thoughts are about Christ. I mean, that kind of stuff. She asked for my email. Like, that kind of stuff never happens to me. It's like I'm usually the guy that offended somebody, okay? <laughs> so many people are getting married now. and You know, if I give people advice that are getting married, I give them one, one you can just write this down. This is what I tell you if you're getting married. Travel before you have kids okay, because it's like being single with benefits. It's the best life ever, okay? Once you have kids, you are chained to where you are. You cannot leave, okay? So everybody's got their advice that they give newlyweds, and, uh, but if you really want some cool, uh, interesting advice uh, Advice, perspective on love and marriage, you ought to ask kids. I found some things that kids said about love and marriage. Y'all want to hear it? All right. So, uh, little Alan, age 10, was asked, How do you decide who to marry? And he goes, Well, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like that you like sports and keep the chips and dip coming. All right. Kirsten, age 10, no person decides before they grow up, who they're going to marry. God decides it way in advance and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> All right. Martin, age 10, come on 10-year-olds, what do most people do on a date? I love this one. He goes, well, on the first date, they just tell each other lies and that usually gets them interested enough to go out for a second date. <laughs> All right, they asked the girl, Anita, age nine, is it better to be single or married? She goes, it's better for girls to be married, but boys to be single because boys need someone to clean up after them. And all the women said? Come on, that's right. Don't get offended, men. It's true. Ricky, age 10, was asked, how do you make a marriage work? Easy. Tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a dump truck. And uh, last, you can find these. Look, it's on the internet. It must be true. Come on, y'all. Finally, a, uh, Dave, age eight, says, how do you make a marriage work? Be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. <laughs> All right, so come on. Let's hear it for kids. You know, that's cool. Um, we just, we're kind of sort of in or not in a series of parables. I think we've kind of gone out of it. And, and uh, so when James asked me to speak, a few months ago, I thought, well, the thing that's on my heart is a parable. So whether we're out of the series or in it, that's what I'm going to do. I ask you forgiveness. It was Jesus' favorite way of teaching anyway. And uh, you think that some people believe that the reason Jesus liked talking in parables so much is that the people in that day were dumb. So let me just lower it to your level so that you get it, people, all right? So let me tell you in a little story. That's not it at all. It was because the religious people of the day were so hard to be around that Jesus used parables to draw a line in the sand that they wouldn't even get. And I'm just telling aren't you glad the Lord had it out for religious people? Come on. So uh, anyway, the first miracle that Jesus did was at a wedding. And he did two parables about a wedding. The first one, uh, remember the one where they... They threw this big wedding festivity and the father they invited all these people, but nobody came. And he said, Wow, go out and invite more people. We need people in the house. Nobody came. And then the father said, Go out into the street corners, the highways, the byways, and you compel them to come in, because I want my house to be full. That's one of the parables. But I want to talk about a parable uh, that we call the ten, the parable of the ten bridesmaids. It's also known. Uh, as the parable of the ten virgins. You ever heard that one before? And the reason I want to say bridesmaids is because it more applies to the context of a wedding, uh, to call it that. Uh, so if you're with me and you have a Bible or a phone or anything, we're going to stay in Matthew 25. Um, and it says this, Then the kingdom of heaven. Say the word then. Then, then the kingdom of heaven. When? Then. Then. Well, in the NIV it says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven. Well, at what time? If you look in Matthew 24 and 25, exclusively the topic of conversation that Jesus is putting forth is the second coming of Christ when he comes back again physically. And what's going to happen? What will the kingdom of God be like when he comes back again? Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps, went up to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Uh, The Greek word for foolish is moros, M-O-R-O-S. It's where we get the word moron. So I guess James thought that I was uniquely qualified to speak on this subject, okay? And uh, so look. It's all about when Jesus will come back again. And to understand the parable, I think we have to understand the wedding customs of the day a little bit. You mind if I just tell you a little bit about that? So the the man would go to the father of the bride, well, not the bride yet, and talk to him about, can I marry your daughter? Well, this is Judaism. And so you've got a Jewish businessman, generally speaking, that the man's having to negotiate with. That's not very easy. So they talk about the dowry and then all that. And then when he finally says yes, then the uh, groom goes off, and he, he goes off for months up to a year to build a house. And when the house was completed, then she would kind of know, well, that house ought to be getting completed, so she'd make sure her dress was ready, she'd be ready to go, suitcase, whatever. And he would show up at the house and say, okay, honey, I'm here, the house is ready, let's go. And, um, and then they would spend a little time there, and then they would travel through town. There would be a pathway through the town. It wouldn't be a big town usually, but they would go through town and there would be people along the way that would join them and the bridesmaids would be there waiting with their lamps because all weddings happened at night. Well, most all weddings happened at night. And the law said you couldn't be out at night without a lamp. And so they would wait and then they would go and they would join the festivities, and then they would go into the house that he had built for them for a party for seven days. Come on. I had to pay for a, a wedding reception that was like three hours long. That was expensive. I mean, think about seven days of party. And so then um, if, if the girls didn't make it, they would be shut out of the party And in and, and Matthew 3, 25 uh, verse 3, it says, the five who were foolish, well, they didn't take enough oil for the lamps and the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Okay, they all had oil in their lamp. You know, they weren't dumb. They had to have oil in their lamp. It's an issue of how much extra oil they took. And so... Um, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So here, it was typical for the bridegroom to stay in the house like the father of the bride for a while, like it could be a while. But in this case, it was really long. He really delayed because in verse six, it says, at midnight, at midnight, they were roused by the shout. Now, even in that day, the uh, the commentators are saying midnight was unheard of to wait that long to go through town, and uh, so anyway the the shout look the bridegroom is coming come in and meet him, all the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps, and then the five foolish ones asked the others please give us some of your oil, because our lamps. Are going out Now, has anybody ever had like a real panic moment in their life? Like you've done something really dumb and you did it in front of people. Anybody? Come on. All right, so I was in a wedding one time about 35 years ago. I'm, I'm saying it was that long because I don't want you to th- think I'm that stupid now. Um, but I was a best man in a wedding and I left the ring in the glove compartment of my car. So, it was time I realized... I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, I realize <gasps> they're gonna ask for the ring. So I do this, and I pull my ring off my finger, and I hand it to the man, and he played along and put it on his bride's finger. So technically, I'm married to her, okay? <laughs> um, it, it was like anybody like uh, the Cangelosis told me one time, you know, Tanner Cangelosi, okay, uh, and Corey. So, that, you know, they have six kids, and three of them are triplets. And like she said, one time she was taking them all to school, dropped them off to school, got a phone call later, your daughter's crying. What's well, crying? She realized she dropped her daughter off with pajamas and slippers, just one of them. The other two were fine. And uh, so they did that. But have you ever had a panic moment, like a, like a real panic moment? This was a panic moment for them. Like, the, the lamps were running out, the procession was coming, your one big spot of doing what's right is coming along, and you were about to be embarrassed big time. And That's what the, the context of this is. And so they asked their good friends, could you please, please let me have some of your oil? And like, uh, no. Verse 9 says, but the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. It's like, are you kidding? It's midnight. Don't you, didn't you check your watch? You know, like, it's, it's late at night. Um, it's bold. So I'm sure that they begged, they pleaded, they insulted like girls do. And, uh, but still, the other girls said no. Come on, girls, lighten up, all right? <laughs> In Matthew twenty five ten, it says, but while they were gone to buy the oil... The bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast seven days, and the door was locked. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, This tells you how serious it was. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. You think it was serious that they weren't ready? You think how serious that bridegroom took at the insult? Of them not being ready, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And it it creates so many questions like, why are you talking on such a heavy topic? (laughs) Okay, why did Jesus even tell this story? Um, Parables have one main point. They're not allegories that have a lot of points. And the one main point of this was just be prepared because you don't know when I'm going to return. You don't know when your number is going to be called. Um, just this last week in Conway, we probably had five people pass away. You just don't know. Uh, you don't know when that day is going to come. So in light of this, I want to talk about, uh, about this and be practical with you. Like, like, what does it being prepared mean? Uh, how do you do it? What if you don't do it? What does it mean that the door was shut? It's a serious thing. So let me talk about preparation in a way that maybe you can understand um, how many of you think that if you were in that old building, you've got to love the fact that you're in this building in Cabot, Arkansas right now, okay? It's fine. The music is fine. The sound, the guy, like the technician, like all these guys are, are great. Being here is awesome. But we didn't just wake up one day and go, man, we're tired of that old building in, in behind McDonald's and scratch our belly and go, well, you want to build a new building? Okay, let's do it. It took a plan. We had to talk to architects. We had to sit down and get ideas. How many rooms do we need for kids? How big do they need to be? What colors do we want? How many parking spots? What do we do? And so we we talk about all this. We talk about who's going to run the lights? What about the sound? Coffee. Come on, thank God for coffee. Even at 1115, thank God for coffee. Look, it's for all the people who are going to be coming And some of you, aren't you glad that we took the time to be prepared for people who might be open to Christ? But what we must not forget is that we must prepare also for the very presence of God to be in this place because no matter what we do in the natural, it doesn't mean anything if God doesn't show up. So John the Baptist's whole message was preparation. And in Mark 1.1 it says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Son of God. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice calling of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And that's why John came. Look, God wouldn't even send his only son to this planet without there being preparation ahead of him. He demanded that. And so today I want to talk to you about preparation because I think that we're living in a really special time. I think we're going to see in our generation more people come to Christ than in the history of the world. Technology. Revival. Look, I'm going to just tell you that in our candlelight and Easter services, almost one and a half percent of the population of Arkansas comes to a New Life Church service. That's amazing. Like, what happens when we get to 50 campuses or more? We could get, I think the goal could be that, that one day we'll have five percent of the population of Arkansas coming just to a New Life service, not only. Uh, but the churches that we counsel as well. Everything of worth in your life requires preparation. You can write that one down. It's true. So I want to give you three principles or whatever of what it means to be prepared. The first one's a little bit long. They're going to put it up on the board. But it's this. There's one thing that you can't borrow. You must get it on your own. Now I don't know about you, but anybody in the room ever had like a mother, grandmother, aunt or somebody who said, "I'm praying for you all the time, every morning, I'm praying for you," right? Okay, you want to almost say, "You know what? Can you please quit? I want to have some fun in my life." <laughs> like relax. Pray for me later. Maybe you're married to someone who prays for you all the time. God bless you. Okay? So um I don't know if you know me, then you probably know that about six and a half years ago I lost my wife. Um, I didn't lose her really. I know where she is. She's in heaven, but she passed away, uh, and and she was like an amazing person. People literally called her, perfect. "Your wife's so perfect," and she would hear this every now and then and uh, say, "I'm not perfect." I even had one lady at Conway come up and say. Um, well, look, I've been so mad at you for years. Like, what? What would I do? I spoke in conversation. I was so mad at you for years because I thought you div- divorced your first wife and married this young thing. That's my first wife. Okay? She was six years younger than me, looked 25 years younger than me. And, um, but she hated it when people called her perfect. I'm not perfect. I'll just stand here and tell you she wasn't perfect. Okay? Because God knew in his ultimate wisdom, that it would be impossible for two perfect people to be married to each other. Okay? Look, what I'm really saying is that just because someone close to you has oil in their lamp doesn't mean that you do. What is oil? Well, in the Bible, it's always representative of the very presence of God. And so then I would ask you, Practically speaking, the first thing that we must answer is whether Christ really lives in us. Like when you're alone with Him and it's just you and God, where are you with that? You can be in church for decades and never have made the trip of letting Him be number one in your life. You know, just because you're near water doesn't mean you're going to get wet. And just because you're in a garage does not make you a Corvette, okay? You could be one of those old garage finds. I'm just saying, here's a question. Do we choose Christ whenever we want? Like, okay, I'm I'm young, I'm going to choose Christ, I'm going to become a Christian on my 45th birthday because I want to have fun in my life. Do you think we get the opportunity? Do we have the option of doing that? Or do we respond to a call that originates with him? I'm just going to tell you, it starts with him. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. There's a drawing that takes place in our heart. Jesus even said, behold, in Revelation, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will dine with him and he with me. We don't randomly decide something of that magnitude. It's a theological question. It does not take away free will. I'm not talking about predestination and free will. I'm talking about you have the will to respond to him, but it's him that knocks. I'm just telling you there's an invitation, and a lot of times that invitation comes at a time where there's trouble going on in your life, but otherwise you would never realize that you need the one who loves you and created you, the one God who sent his son to die for you, until you get to a moment of like, I really need him, and there's an invitation, and there's a knocking. Well, how do you know there's a knocking? How do you feel How do you know when there's a knocking? Because something in your heart, and you know what I'm talking about, there's an openness, and it's not always there. You need to respond when that openness is there. I believe there's going to be people in this room today that respond to that. There's something called the Romans Road. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know that. Romans 6, 23 says that uh, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified as with your mouth you confess your faith and are saved. Hey, is it okay if, I, if I'm here today and talking about something as basic as salvation here in church, and you hope you're not offended by me talking about something as simple as what it means to accept Christ into your life. I'm just telling you, I believe people are here right now just feeling a little bit of this, like you've let me in, but you've not let me all the way in, and I'm knocking You cannot borrow this from another person. You must get it. You must respond on your own. Can I have an amen? Amen. All right, number two. The second thing about being prepared is that being prepared requires diligence over the long term. Verse five says that while the bridegroom was delayed midnight, remember, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Well, you think, well, that's no big deal because if the If the wise bridesmaids and the foolish ones fell asleep, it must have been okay. But if you read in the commentaries, and the customs of the day, they would tell you that generally speaking, it was not okay. It was something wrong that even the wise girls did. It was just that he waited so long that they all fell asleep. But guess what? They were wise because they had oil, extra oil, that even though They quit their watching. There's a part of us that when things take too long, like you ever just felt like God promised you something or you're waiting for something to happen and it just takes so long that sometimes we give up in the middle of a hardship when we're waiting for something to happen. There's a, every year in Alaska, there's this race called the sport. Now, you've probably heard of the Iditarod with the dogs, right? Uh, That's where the dog sleds are. Well, this one is on cross-country skis. And if you've ever done that, it's very hard. It's 170 miles. And uh, it's over uh, ice, snow, valleys, hills. I'm talking about a grueling thing. And in uh, one year, uh, probably 20 years ago thereabouts, there's a skier named Jim Jaggers. And he was uh, 120 miles into the race, and he was two hours ahead of the next person. Like two hours ahead. And then something happened. He was up front and he was alone. Something happened in him, and he got a little discouraged. He just felt emotionally down. And then he started slowing down to almost stopping, and then... uh, he, he said, in the next 20 miles, someone passed him, and it totally broke his spirit. Even though he had slowed down, he let discouragement slow him down, and this guy passed him. And when that happened, he pulled the sleeping bag out of his backpack, went off to the side of the trail, and fell asleep for the remainder of the race, and everybody passed him up with only a few miles to go they interviewed him afterwards and they said i don't know what happened i just broke something inside of me just broke it quit i couldn't move one more and i pulled off to the side and i was discouraged man i'm just going to tell you people feel like that sometimes they feel like i'm checked out like even you could be Doing so great, almost at the very moment you're about to see your victory, you've gone through all the hardship, and you're that close to seeing the light shine through at the end of the tunnel, and you give up. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a race. It's an endurance race. And I'm telling you, if we make it to the end, and God has the power to keep us and grace to make us make it to the end, If that is our goal, we need time with God. We need time with other Christians. That's what we're talking about in life groups. You just need time with Christians. But I'm going to tell you something else you need. You need to find a place where you serve. And the last point, and then I'm going to wrap this thing up, is that the purpose of the bridesmaids was to serve, they weren't there. Because it's an honor to be a bridesmaid. Look at me, everybody! I'm a bridesmaid. Maybe they do that now. I don't know, but then it was an act of service. It was a cost. You know, you buy a bridesmaid's dress these days. It's a service. I mean, like it. You have to go like to the bank, <laughs> right? And so they're waiting. This is everything they did was for the honor of the bride and the groom, and not for themselves. Look, in the previous chapter, there's a parable where Jesus talks about a master going out of town, and he puts one servant in charge of other servants, and says, look, while I'm gone, take care of them, and it says uh, in, in Matthew 24, again, talking about the second coming of Christ, who is the wise and loyal servant that the master trusts to give the other servants their food at the right time. When the master comes, and finds the servant doing his work, the servant will be blessed. Another translation says it this way, blessed are those who are doing the work of the master's house until he comes. Our waiting time, if you're a Christian, is a time of service. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction of terms. You can do three things with your life. You can waste it, on things. You can spend it on yourself or you can invest it in the kingdom of God for other people. We recently had serve day, I think eight days ago, and then a few weeks before that we had serve launch. A couple in Conway came to me and said, Bobby, we've been in this church 10 years and we've loved the church. We enjoy everything about it, but we never knew what it was really about until we joined up with other people, I think it was during the flood relief, and helped other people. I believe we are like a river. We take what comes and we pass it along. If we're not like that, we're like the Dead Sea, who we take, gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy, we take, and we don't pass anything along. You know what? The Dead Sea has 30 times the amount of salt as it is in the salt water in the ocean, nothing can live in it. Ephesians 2.10 says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me tell you, I don't care if you're a billionaire in this place. If you are, come see me afterwards. But for the rest of us even, You could be rich or you could be poor, but there's something in the shape that God put in us that is a need for us to serve other people or we're not fulfilled. We're created for good works. We leave a legacy. This parable is the second to last one that Jesus talks about before he's arrested in Matthew. The last one Harry Bates talked about, what are you going to do with the talents I give you? The last thing that Jesus says before he's arrested, he talks about the sheep and the goats. You know what I'm talking about? The judgment day. I'm going to put the sheep over here. I'm going to put the goats over here. The sheep are going to go to a good place and, and, and the goats won't. Well, what's the criteria? The criteria is I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked. You clothed me. I was alone, and you visited me. When did we do that, Lord? When you did it for the least. I'm telling you, there's something in us that must serve. When I'm, I'm okay, I'm 64 years old. You could look up here and go, man, you don't look it. Okay, right? Come on. Um, well, I'm, I'm old enough to look back over my life. And when I look over my life, what I don't say is, Man, I've sure spent a lot of time visiting people that were grieving. I've sure been to a lot of hospital rooms. My schedule's been so busy. Man, I just I wish I hadn't done all. I wish I'd have gone to Italy more. Now, I love Italy. Come on, y'all. But I wish I'd have vacated more. I wish I'd have fished more. I'm telling you, what I look back and see, what I really see, I see the faces of people that I didn't go see. I see their faces. I feel it, like I don't know if you're this way, if you're older, you trust me, you're not going to look back and go, look at all the good stuff I did. You're going to think, what did I not do? I just want I just want the Lord to give me His love, what He loves to be in my heart and the strength to carry it out. Would you agree with me on that? Let's just take a time and This will not be long. Let's just bow our heads right now. You might be in this room and you think, man, Bobby, I need to be more prepared because I believe God wants me to to do something. I think there are people in this room that would say, I'm on the verge of quitting. This race has been hard. I'm going through something. It's so hard. Some of you, maybe all of you, are hearing this, let me in, come on, let me into that room that you've never let me into, let me into your heart, you've been coming to church, I want to have time with you, I want to spend time with you, I want to take just a moment, if you're in this place and you know that you could be closer to God, you're not where you should be, and you feel that knock on your heart. I want you to raise your hand and let me pray with you all across this room. Come on, raise your hands now. I see you. I see you. Come on. Yep, leave your hands up. There's a lot of hands. I just want to see you. Come on, y'all. This is awesome. Man, God will come in. He says, I will come in. I will. Father, right now, no matter what has caused us to be in the situation that we're in, you're better at forgiving than we are at sinning. You're better at at that than any bitterness that we carry. We invite you in, Lord. Thanks for knocking on the door. Come into my life. Change things around. Let joy come in. And let me be fulfilled in serving other people, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everybody said, hey, do you love the Lord here today? Come on, y'all, We just stand up? Let's worship him.